Colossians chapter 3 is the scripture reading this morning. Colossians chapter 3. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 39 of the Catechism. And Colossians chapter 3 is a good passage to be familiar with um, in the raising of our children. Um, to bring our children God's Word and teach them what is expected of them, even as children. Um, this whole chapter speaks about conversion, putting off the new man, putting, on the new, putting off the new, old man, putting on the new man. And for us to, especially as parents, be familiar with a chapter like this and bring it to our children uh, is a, a blessing, and God is pleased to use that. So it's good to be familiar with this chapter. We read the whole chapter, Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father, by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not 
bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 39 of the Catechism found on page 22 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 39. What doth God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin looking at the fifth commandment this morning, it's good for us to be reminded of where we are in the catechism and what we are doing. We are in the third section of the catechism. We are looking at how we are to show our thankfulness to God for the glorious salvation, the redemption He has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we've been going through this section on thankfulness, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments in very close detail because the Ten Commandments tell us how we are to live in thankfulness before the Lord. The Ten Commandments tell us what is pleasing to the Lord. And so far in our treatment, we've looked at the first four commandments, what we call the first table of the law. The first four commandments tell us particularly how we are to love God and what our duty toward God is. In summary, Jesus puts it this way, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. This morning with Lord's Day 39, we come to the second table of the law, commandments 5 through 10, which focus in on especially how we are to love our neighbor and what our duty toward our neighbor is. In summary, Jesus put it this way, love thy neighbor as thyself. And now here in this fifth commandment, we are taught, love thy neighbor by honoring the position of authority, honoring him or her in the position of authority that God has put them in over you. Love thy neighbor by honoring the neighbor whom God has placed in that position of authority over you. 
Now, as we make this distinction between the first table of the law and the second table of the law, what we need to keep in mind is this. Our love for our neighbor is based upon and it's rooted in and it flows out of our love for God. We keep these next six commandments because of our love for God and because God himself commands us these things. For God's sake, we honor our neighbor in his position of authority. For God's sake, because I want to honor God and I want to do what pleases God, for God's sake, I love my neighbor. God is the one who's purchased me with his own precious blood. God is the one who's delivered me from suffering and death, and he's given me hope. He's given me life. He's given me joy. And now God's command to me, his child is, out of your love for me, love the neighbor I put beside you. And that's important to remember. That's important as we consider all these commandments, and that is also very important as we consider this fifth commandment this morning. We take as our theme, worshiping God by honoring authority. Worshiping God by honoring authority. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we simply dwell on the fact that this is a significant commandment. Second, we look at the practical instruction, especially for children and parents. We do that briefly. And then third, the encouraging reminders. Not to say, beloved, when I sat down this past week to prepare this sermon, I was a little troubled. I was a little perplexed by how I should even approach this whole subject. And I was a little troubled and perplexed because there seems to be so much sin that gathers itself around this commandment. Even when you just consider the word authority, The word authority is a word that is immersed with all kinds of bad connotations. People don't like authority. People don't like the word submission. People don't like the idea that someone else has the right to make rules for them. And someone else has the right to impose those rules upon them and demand that these rules be observed. And people don't like the idea that someone even has the right to judge them according to those rules maintain those rules, and punish those under their authority who do not observe those rules. That's what authority is. And people have problems with that. People have problems with authority. People have problems, people don't like the police. They don't like the government. People don't like rules. People don't like having others tell them what to do. And all of that led me to consider in this first point of the sermon how this fifth commandment is a very significant commandment. And and let's just dwell on that and appreciate that for a a time this morning. I've got three things to point out about how this fifth commandment is significant. And the first thing is this. This fifth commandment is significant because of the culture we live in. Now, I don't want this, I don't mean for this, to be an exercise in which we simply point the finger at everything around us and we point at how sinful our culture is just to make ourselves feel better because we're different. But I do want us to dwell on this for a moment so that we appreciate this and we recognize that our entire culture is a culture that has an aversion and a disdain and even a hatred for authority. We need to see that because because we're influenced by our culture more than we think. You see it on the news. Our society is becoming a lawless society. Even in every facet of government we see it. We even see those in authority promoting this lawlessness. 
But you see it in even more pervasive ways. Think about where things are with marriages. There are no laws anymore when it comes to marriages. There are no rules. Do as you please. That's the idea today. Think about where things are with regard to the whole sexual and gender revolution. There are no rules. Everything is fluid. Everything is determined by the individual. It is extreme and it is perverted self-expression. So that everyone is a law unto themselves. Everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes because there is no king. There is no, there is no authority. That's what people would want. Think about home life. It is not culturally acceptable anymore. It is, it's not just a mockery. It's not just something people mock. But, but it is offensive to them even to suggest that the father is the head of the home. Wives don't have to submit to their husbands anymore. That, that's some antiquated, bygone day of bigotry. Even, even just suggesting that idea causes, causes people to bristle. And, and children don't need to honor their parents anymore. And what is perhaps worse, parents themselves don't even want to be authority figures in the lives of their children. They, parents themselves don't like this idea of authority. I would rather be an advisor than actually go so far as to tell my child what to do. I'm only there to serve and to suggest, not to rule. That's, that's the culture of our day. Parents should not be authority figures in the lives of their children. Parents are only caretakers. Parents are only providers. And, and children should be treated as autonomous people. Parents are there to serve the children. And the culture we live in is in many ways a culture of entitlement, where everyone thinks that everyone else should be listening to them, so that even the children become the authority. The children knows what's best. So what my child wants, that's what he gets. Or just think about critical theory. Critical theory, which is this whole way of thinking that, that says that people in power, people in authority, are the oppressors. And the people under authority, by very definition, are the oppressed. And what we should do then is to fight for those who are under authority to free them from that oppression of being under authority. And then this whole idea goes even further and says, if you are this or if you are that, if you are, if you are male, maybe, or if you are rich, whatever it may be, if you fall into this category, then you are, by definition, an oppressor. If you are in this section of culture or you are in that section, you are an oppressor. And if you are in this other group, well, then you are the oppressed, by definition. And of course, it all causes us to beg, it all begs the question, well, who's the one who gets to determine these rules? Who is the one who, who has the authority to tell you whether you are the oppressor or the oppressed? Because, of course, ultimately they're the ones who are in the authority. They're the ones who are ruling. But you see, that's the culture we live in. And, and what's more, if you dare tell someone that they are not the oppressed, well, that itself is a form of oppression. Who are you to tell me who I am? And of course, then, who are the people who get hurt but the ones who are truly oppressed and whose oppression is minimized by all of this talk. And in the end, what does all, all this reduce to but this? Everyone is a law to himself. No authority whatsoever. Pure anarchy. That's what people want. Until, of course, they're the ones in the position of power and authority. And then you can be sure they will be ready to use that position of power and authority to serve their own purposes and agenda. 
And you see, that's what complicates matters. That's, that's why this whole topic is so perplexing and, and troubling, because not only is there this attempt to overthrow authority, but there's this reality. How often haven't people experienced the abuse of that authority? This culture of entitlement doesn't just affect those under authority, but it affects those who are in those positions of authority, so that they corrupt that position of authority to serve themselves. And that's part of the whole root of the problem. Those in authority abusing their power, using their position for themselves. So that there is corruption, there is dishonesty, there is betrayal, there is people using authority as a weapon, people using authority to hurt, to destroy, to indulge their own lusts of the flesh. Just think of this whole idea of sexual abuse and domestic abuse. It has to do with issues of authority. Think of husbands who berate, attack, tear apart their wives in the privacy of their own homes with words and gestures, and they play mind games, and then they use the Bible as a weapon, and they justify their shameful behavior by emphasizing, but I'm the head of the home, so you have to listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, I'll go to the elders. It's shameful. People in positions of power and authority taking advantage of their authority, perpetrating wicked sins. And then how scary, how, how scary when those in positions of authority aren't making good decisions. It's not easy to submit when things are going seriously wrong. And, and, then, and then people don't even say sorry. And then those who are hurt have the real temptation to not trust authority, any authority. After all, it was someone in authority that viciously attacked us or, or them. And, and worse of all, those in authorities, well, not worse of all, but, but add, to add to, the, to the, the gravity of the sin, those in authority sometimes don't even care to appreciate what's happening. And, and you have the further abuse of authority, or you at least have negligence. It's a wretched business. And what's the abuse of authority and, and negligence, but, but itself a gross failure to submit to the rule of Jesus Christ? Many times, the person is a narcissist, a lover of self. Whether I'm under authority or in authority, it's about me, it's about us, it's about the name, it's about the reputation. What, what does, what does uh, Paul write in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2? People, people in the last days will become lovers of their own selves. And now we, we say we're in the last days. Well, don't be surprised when we see this. Narcissism. People who are lovers of their own selves. And then no wonder you get these movements that are shaking the, our whole society. And then, and then you can say what the psalmist says in Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations are destroyed so that there's no longer even any place to stand. You take away the foundation of authority and you can't do anything. You can't get anything done. It becomes this vicious circle of lawlessness propagating further lawlessness. And then people even start to get this idea that this is freedom. That this lawlessness, this anarchy is freedom. That, that having no authority over me is freedom. And it's all the same lie that Satan believed in the beginning. Rebel against God. Don't submit to Him. Rebel against his authority, and I will become like God myself. And it's a lie 
And it's a very attack on the gospel itself because it defines what the whole gospel actually is. The whole gospel is this. Not that you're free from authority, but that you've been brought under the authority of Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ and you are now a child and a servant of Jesus Christ. And now He also equips you and strengthens you to live as His servant, doing His will, living in good works to the praise of the one who is your master and your Lord. That's freedom. And you see, until there's reformation, until there's true repentance and true turning again to the Lord and true submitting to His law, the destruction you see only becomes more devastating and more devastating. And there are huge implications here for those in authority as well, for elders in the church. We need to be aware of these things and then not fall into the ditch on either side. Not, not abdicate authority, but then certainly not abuse authority either. What we say goes. No, but, but use that authority under Christ for the good of the flock. And to show everyone that, that we are under the rule of Christ. Even, even, we might say, more so than yourself. I'm going to put myself under a higher standard of this than anyone else. I'm going to carry out then my calling faithfully. Put the wicked out of the church. Call sin for what it is. Protect the flock. Do whatever investigation that needs to be done. Don't renege on my responsibility. Rule well. Do it diligently. Do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with our God. And I will say at the heart of it all, lies this fifth commandment and principles related to this fifth commandment. I think that's also why people are saying we are living in the last days. Because how do you get out of this whirlwind of lawlessness? How do you get out of this vicious cycle of lawlessness except Christ comes and He brings people back to a right understanding of authority so that people's knees bow and their mouths confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's, that's at the heart of it. This is a very significant commandment. The second thing that shows us how significant this commandment is, is this. The foundational nature of this commandment. I think that comes out already in what we've already looked at this morning. But let me make it more explicit. This commandment is foundational. It's foundational for life. It's foundational for the whole second table of the law. Now, we know the first commandment, that's foundational, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's where everything starts. The first commandment is first for a reason. It is first. But now this fifth commandment is very similar to the first because it's the first commandment in the second table of the law. And so it's foundational for for all of our life in society. Just think, why don't you kill your neighbor? Why don't you commit adultery? Why don't you steal? Why don't you lie? Well, it's because I I love my neighbor as myself out of Christ. It's because I love God and I know this is His will. But but then to add to that, we understand it starts here. I don't lie. I don't kill. I don't commit adultery because I've already learned the fifth commandment to submit to authority. And I don't do those things because I've I've first learned to submit to authority. And that's where love for the neighbor begins. 
Let me repeat that. That's where love for the neighbor begins. Submitting myself to authority and not being a law unto myself. In addition to that, this fifth commandment is the first commandment that we learn. That's also why it's foundational. In a sense, it's the first commandment that we as little children are supposed to learn. That's why in Ephesians 6 verse 2, the apostle puts it this way, Honor thy father and thy mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. Now what does that mean? It's the first commandment with promise. Well, it's the fifth commandment. No, it's the first commandment with promise. What that means is this. This is the first commandment you learn in life. This is the first commandment that you practically learn. And when you learn it, if you learn it, then you have promise for a good future. Then there is hope for you. That's what this means. This is the first commandment with promise. Children, if you learn this commandment well as a child, there is hope for you. You have promise for a bright future. And the implication is, if you don't learn this commandment, if you don't learn to submit to authority, if you don't learn to honor your father and your mother, because that's where it starts, if you don't learn that, then your life does not hold much promise or hope. You're going to destroy yourself, you're going to bring all kinds of misery and sorrow to those around you, and you will certainly incur the terrible wrath of God. Truly, if you don't learn this commandment, you haven't really learned any of the commandments. This is where it starts. Submit to God's authority. That makes this commandment very significant. And then the third thing that makes this commandment a very significant commandment is this. As I've just implied, this commandment ultimately has to do with God. That's at the heart of all the commandments. We understand that. But it's at the heart of this commandment too. Honoring authority has to do with my personal relationship to God. When it comes to the fifth commandment, we need to ask the question, what does this commandment have to do with God? Right? It has to do with loving my neighbor, but what does it have to do with God? What has everything to do with God? Because in the end, all authority comes from God. Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power, there is no authority, but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. He's put those People in that authority, he's created those levels of authority. And whosoever therefore resisteth the power, the authority, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. What we need to recognize is that God is the one who has all authority. That's where authority comes from. God is the one who's sitting in the heavens and he's distributing authority as he pleases. He's the one who appoints kings and he's the one who one who also casts kings down from their thrones. All authority comes from God, and nobody has any authority, but it comes from God. And he distributes authority as he pleases. He gives some the right to rule over others, to make rules, and to impose those rules, and to enforce those rules. For example, he gives parents the right and calling to rule over their children. He gives office bearers the right to rule over the church. He gives bosses the right to rule over their employees and exercise that rule and enforce it. And everyone who has authority is required to use that authority under God 
in the way that God commands them to use it. And everyone under authority has to submit to that authority, authority as unto God. In the end, everyone is under authority because everyone is under God's authority. Now, to put it all in slightly different language, we could put it this way. I love God. That's where it starts. I love Jesus. I love God and I serve God. Whether I'm a husband or a wife, whether I'm a parent or a child, whether I am in a position of authority or a position under authority, I love God and I serve God. I trust in Him alone. With humility and patience, I submit to Him. I expect all good things from Him only. And I love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart. That's where it starts. The first commandment. No idols. I love God. And then second, I recognize God is the one who has all authority in the affairs of men. God is distributing authority according to His own holy, good pleasure. And I worship God in my life by honoring the authority He has put over me. And whatever authority He has invested in me, I strive to carry out that authority in a way that honors and pleases the God whom I love. Or to put it slightly differently, I love Jesus. I love Jesus and I serve Jesus. That's why I call him Lord. He's the one who's purchased me with his precious blood. And through him, I have died to sin. I've been risen to a new life so that I should no longer serve sin, but serve him. I am now the willing slave of Jesus whose shackles he's, he's broken. I am his servant, bound yet free. Bound unto him, yet, yet that's where I find my freedom. And as my Lord, Jesus has all authority in my life. He tells me how to live. And now Jesus is the one who exercises all authority over heaven and earth, right? He's at God's right hand, who's given all authority in heaven and in earth. And now here I am. And maybe I'm a child. And I have two parents that Jesus has put in authority over me. And I see Jesus, and I recognize that Jesus has put these parents in authority over me. They got their authority from Jesus, and I honor Jesus by honoring my parents in that position of authority. And maybe I'm a wife, and I have a husband who has authority over me. I need to recognize that, that this is how Jesus has designed marriage. This is how God has made marriage so that Husband and wife are one flesh, and the husband is the head of his wife. And, and, and Paul puts it very explicitly, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. I recognize that, and then looking to Jesus, I honor Jesus by honoring my husband and his position over me. And maybe I'm a husband, and I have church office bearers who have authority over me. Or my boss who has authority over me. Or the policeman who has authority over me. In, in these different spheres. I submit to them because I see Jesus and his authority in them. We could look at school. We could look at government. We could look at our job. We could see that we are all under authority. There's nothing inherently degrading about being under authority. 
In fact, the reality is, those who are given authority will be the more severely judged. Because they will have to give an account of how they have used that authority and and reflected Christ in their office. But the point is, I submit to authority because I love Jesus. I'm submitting to the authority of Jesus. Behind my parents, behind my husband, behind the policeman, behind the judge, behind the president, stands Jesus and His authority. And my duty given in this fifth commandment is this, to see Jesus as my Lord and to submit to the authority He has placed over me. And that's also why, children, this is an important point. That's why if someone in authority should tell me to commit sin, if someone in authority should tell you to be naughty, then you must not obey. And you must not obey because ultimately you're serving Jesus. Yes, you still show honor and you submit when we understand that word properly, but we don't obey. We don't do what we're told. We still recognize this person might be in a position over me, but I'm not going to do exactly as he says if he is transgressing his authority, his office, and not ruling as and ruling in opposition to Christ's rule. I don't do the sinful things that I'm instructed to do. I always think of Daniel's three friends in this connection. Right? When King Nebuchadnezzar told them to bow down and worship the golden image, they did not obey. They still submitted, and they said, if we are thrown into the fiery furnace and we perish, we know who's who's the king. We know who's ruling over us, but we we will not do this thing. We must obey God rather than men. But again, the point is, I submit to authority because I love Jesus. That makes this commandment a significant commandment. So it's a very significant commandment. We look at the culture around us, We see how this is a fundamental commandment for the second table of the law, and we consider how this commandment has everything to do with God and Jesus, and we see it is significant. And then we pray, oh, for the grace to learn this commandment well, to learn it from the bottom of our hearts, to be those who have this posture, to always have this posture that I am under authority because I'm under Jesus' authority. Well, having considered how significant this commandment is, we need some practical instruction. And I think everything that we've just said is very practical. We have, to, we have to now apply it. We have to be brief here in the second point of the sermon. But what does this look like? Well, that's where the language of the catechism is, is very clear. What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me, Submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience, and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Now notice the catechism uses the word honor. The fifth commandment uses the word honor. Honor thy father and thy mother. That word honor literally means weight. It means it's referring to something that is heavy. Not something that is light and flippant, but something that is heavy. You can't just toss it around. You have to be careful with it. And that's what we do with those in authority over us. We don't toss them around, but, but we, we have the gravity of honoring them. We, we hold them in high regard. 
We treat them with reverence by how we speak to them and how we speak to others about them. To honor our father and mother is to respect them, esteem them highly, value them, prize them as gifts from God and as those placed in an office of authority over me. And the, the reason the word honor is used is because it's, again, focusing on the heart. God isn't just concerned with obedience, the, the outward doing of what you're told to do. He's concerned about your heart. He wants your heart. Honor your father and mother. The catechism also uses the word love and the word fidelity. The word fidelity there means faithfulness. You honor and serve and obey your parents truly. You're loyal to them. You're loyal to your boss. You're you're loving him, looking out for him. You don't betray your parents. You truly seek their good. Well, what does all this mean? Well, there are many spheres of, of authority. I'm going to focus this morning briefly on the children because this is where it starts. Children, it means this, that when your parents tell you to do your chores, the attitude you have is this. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Prompt, cheerful obedience is what honoring your parents looks like. Son, make your bed. Yes, mom. Daughter, clean the table. Yes, mom. Son, get ready for bed. Yes, dad. Daughter, turn off the TV now. Yes, dad. Not, do I have to? Not, ugh. Not, it's not fair. Just, yes, mom. That's honor. To do as you are told without delay, without excuse, and without complaint. And that's true at home. That's true for us as adults at work. That's true at school. That's true with our teachers. That's honor. It means also this. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Children, your parents do a tremendous amount for you. Loving parents are a rich blessing to children. They spend their lives seeking your good, spiritually first of all, if you have good parents, and then also in in every other way. They want to give you that upbringing that's going to do you good. And one thing we don't realize as children, is just how thankful we ought to be for godly parents. When you're old, then you become wise, and and then you see it. Wow, how thankful I should have been. One of the biggest ways you can honor your parents is simply by saying thank you. And I think to add to that, for us, especially as older children, one more way we can honor our parents is simply by saying this word. Hello. That is, take the time to talk to your parents. Call your parents. See how they are doing. Show them honor by giving them your most precious commodity, your time. 
Our older parents might just be a little more lonely than we realize. This is a way we honor our parents as well as, as, as doing what we need to to take care of them in their old age. But think about that, young adults. Time, honoring your parents by, by interacting with them. Well, if there's practical instruction that the children need to hear, there's also instruction that parents need to hear as well, and for those in authority. I think the, an essential part of the practical instruction is this. First of all, be the example. Right? That, that's, that's leading. That's teaching. Lead by example, parents. Show respect to one another. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Focus on the heart of your children. That, that's how we lead by example too. Parents were concerned about the heart. I, I bring that up because just think of how easy it is to focus on the outward. So that, so that we become parents that are simply trying to manipulate our children to perform the activity we want them to perform. And we're not focusing on the heart at all. Think of parents who try to bribe their children. If you be a good boy in the store, I will buy you a piece of candy afterwards. That's not the fifth commandment. That's, that's manipulation. Th think of parents who try to threaten their children. If you don't go to bed now, I'm going to come up there and give you a licking. You start hollering up the stairs, and then things can get pretty ugly. But, but, but are you caring about their heart? Or are you just caring about them shutting up so that you can go on with what you want to do for the rest of the night? Think of parents who try to shame their children into obedience. Oh, little Johnny, you make me so sad. When I see the way you fight with your brother, I have no joy in life. I get depressed. I never knew how miserable it would be to have children. You know, your mother and I used to talk about how nice it would be to have children, but we didn't think we'd have to deal with this kind of disobedience. What a wretched child you are. And we try to shame our children into obeying us, and we put a guilt trip on them so that they start doing what we want them to do. And it's manipulation. That's not the keeping of the fifth commandment. That, that's just outward obedience. That's something Nebuchadnezzar would be happy with. Just bow down when the music plays. You raise your children that way, and what are you teaching them? You're teaching your children, do what you need to do and to get what you want. And avoid doing, and do what you need to do in order to avoid what you don't want. And those are the rules we teach our children for life. You manipulate your children... And you teach them how to get what they want through manipulation. And they never learn honor. And they never learn repentance either. And there's so much we could say here. This is so wrong. It's teaching our children to grow up in the church as hypocrites. And that's the last thing we want. And it's an offense to them when they come to know the gospel. And then they compare it with how they were raised. And they said, my parents weren't teaching me the gospel at all. Here, and here's the thing, if we teach our children the fifth commandment properly, focusing on the heart, then the gospel does remain center, central. Because when we talk about the heart, what's going on in the heart, when we talk about honor, then we can also talk about the sin 
that lives in the heart. We can talk about our sinful natures and the struggle we have. We can talk about how we need Jesus and we need to confess our sins and we need to go to the cross to seek forgiveness. And then when we talk about the heart, we can talk about God's gospel, the good news, how Jesus died for our sins. And then we can talk about how God also has made us his covenant children. He works his Holy Spirit in us. He equips us so that we can honor our parents in the Lord out of Jesus Christ. And then it also gives us an opportunity to talk about why we want our children to obey. Not to serve me, but because we together are thankful to the Lord for the salvation he's given us through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful and we want to do what is well-pleasing in God's sight. And that is practical. That's the fifth commandment. And when you have that approach, then we have encouraging reminders. Then we have encouraging reminders. First, we have the encouraging reminder that our righteousness is not in our outward activity. Our righteousness is not in ourselves. Let's not become little Pharisees. But our righteousness is in Jesus Christ outside of ourselves, His perfect keeping of the law, even submitting Himself under the authority of His parents under the authority of Pontius Pilate, and under the authority of God perfectly, even to the point where he went through the sufferings and agonies of hell. And our salvation is secure because his righteousness is imputed to me. That's where I get my standing before God, his perfect obedience. That's encouraging. And then second, the encouraging reminder is that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, also gives me the strength. He enables me. He equips me to keep this commandment. Yes, a small beginning, but a beginning nevertheless. So that parents can even expect their children to learn honor, to learn what it is to love. Right? Because you're, you've got the Holy Spirit, children. You can keep this commandment. And so can I. We'll do it together by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then third, the encouraging reminder is that in the end, we remember there is no authority but of God. That is encouraging. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is the one in control. And my life is a life of service ultimately to him. Even in these circumstances, even when I'm in Babylonian captivity and I have to serve Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years, I submit to authority because I'm submitting to Jesus. He's on the throne and he loves me. And he knows what he's doing with my life. He knows his own purposes in these things. I will honor him and I will worship God by honoring authority. You see, that's what makes us different, beloved. That's what makes us pilgrims and strangers in the midst of this world of lawlessness. We can submit to authority because we, we know the one we're serving. And we know his love towards us. We're looking unto Jesus, the one sitting on the throne. And that's, that's comfort and that's encouragement. And then we can also remind those in authority of their responsibilities. And then we do that the right way too. You need to listen to King Jesus. And then we say that to each other. We pray, let us be a congregation, let us be a people who is bowing the knee joyfully to Jesus Christ, showing our thankfulness 
striving to honor and submit to all authority that he has put over us. That we might be a people giving pleasure and honor to the Lord himself. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the perspective that Thou dost give us regarding all these commandments. And we thank Thee for the joy we now have looking unto Jesus and serving under the authority He has placed over us, doing it unto Him. Forgive our sins, Lord, our short-sightedness where we forget Jesus. And we pray that He might be big in our lives, bigger than anything. And out of thankfulness for His so great salvation, we might gladly heed these commandments. Forgive our sins. Use this preaching to shape and to form our hearts and our lives. Use it as a means of grace, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.